it's Angela Blair, and welcome back to another episode of All Strings Attached. What if I told you that you're about to get the keys to everlasting love? You see, we all have this intense desire to be loved and nurtured. That's really how we're built. That need to be loved could be considered one of our most basic and fundamental needs. Each of us grew up with different experiences of love and different displays of marriage from our parents, the movies we watch, or the people that were around. For me, I wasn't so lucky, I'll be honest, to see a strong marriage with healthy communication. That's really one of my motivations for bringing such important conversations to life through this show, All Strings Attached. So when it comes to love and having a lasting and fulfilling relationship, what if we all had that recipe for success? What if we all had the tools to ensure that when we do find our match, our love is so bulletproof that the D word, divorce, never even crosses our mind? Whether you're single, dating, or married, today's conversation brings you just that, a specific recipe for success. Now, this just isn't any recipe. This is a recipe crafted by one of the leading experts on marriage who has helped thousands of couples, Dr. Christine Bacon. Dr. Christine Bacon is an author, international speaker, radio show host, and relationship coach whose greatest passion is in reconciling divorced couples or those whose marriages were deemed irreparable. Her radio talk show is Breakfast with Bacon, The Relationship Doctor, and her latest book is called The Super Couple, A Formula for Extreme Happiness in Marriage. Dr. Bacon's expertise is in teaching others the skills necessary to navigate all relationships, desired and difficult. Her expertise includes teaching couples and individuals to successfully manage conflict, anger, and stress. So whether it's on the platform, in a book, or riding the airwaves, Dr. Bacon's expertise is in teaching others the skills necessary to navigate anything. Dr. Bacon, so excited for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to All Strings Attached. Uh, thank you so much, Angela. I've been looking forward to it since you and I spoke a while ago. You are very passionate about this as well, and I love radio hosts who love yes. the same stuff I love. So thanks for having yes, me. Absolutely. So. First things first, when you go to your Instagram page, your bio reads, relationship coach whose goal is to save a million marriages, follow the formula and any marriage can become super. Whoa, that is a statement right there. What is this formula and how have you seen it work over the years for couples? Well, I just want to start with the extreme happiness part. Um, so my own marriage, as many people who have listened to me or watched me know, was extremely troubled. We were married at 18. I was young and pregnant. And we were married two and a half months after meeting each other and pregnant. I mean, so this was not a love story that one wants to repeat. And then we had our first daughter. We were in the military. We transferred. We got pregnant with our second child. We were still happy. And then while you know, being happy with my husband and getting ready to have our second child, I had an affair. And so people are like, what? One of the things I like to teach people is that affairs don't happen just out of a bad marriage. And I'll talk about that later. So how do you leave something good? How do you start into an affair? How do you destroy a marriage? So 
Well, I'll get back to that later, but I did this horrible thing. I was with this guy for two years. My husband had to get transferred to South Carolina. I stayed in New Hampshire, figured my life out, realized what a bad decision this was. So we were apart about four years and two years with the bad guy and then two years mm -hmm. by myself kind of figuring my life out. And then my husband pursued me at this point. We'd never legally gotten the divorce, though I had filed papers and tried. He pursued me and pursued me and... You know, I was like, okay, let's do this again. But at this point now, we didn't get back together for love or loving feelings, as people would say. I would correct myself and say it was love, but it's the correct definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not keep record mm -hmm. of wrongs, those kind of things. It wasn't all the, oh my gosh, I'm having these great feelings for my husband again. Let's, let's do this again. So we made this decision to get back together and we still struggled because we were still only in our 20s. No one ever taught us how to have a happy marriage. So we fought all the time. and But when I had decided to get back together with him, I, I thought to myself, you know, the first time, Christine, if you would have, would have gotten out of this relationship, it would have been understood. You're 18, young, pregnant, stupid. Everyone would have cut you some slack. But the second time, you're going into it wise or you're eight years older, you've got two children, you've been out of it, you know what. So this time it's for life. And that commitment, Angela, really was something I didn't recognize back then. But the power of commitment was huge. That held us together. So as we're struggling with these problems over the years after our reconciliation, I remember thinking, oh my God, I got stuck with my one in a hundred. I wish I would have married my one in a million. Oh, well, everybody else is so much luckier. So I went and, and got my PhD, I got my bachelor's, my master's, my PhD, all in marriage communication. I'm studying this thing, right? Because oh, he's a terrible communicator. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Yes, I'm going to figure this out. I got my doctorate in marriage communication. It was humor as a communication strategy in military marriage. And all the questions had to do with humor except for one question, which simply said, rate your marriage. And that question had 644 people took my survey. And of those 644 people, 35%, that's more than one in three, checked off that they were extremely happy. The scale was extremely unhappy, very unhappy, unhappy. And then the flip side, which was happy, very happy, extremely happy and perfect. If you look at marriages today, I think just to get half of them to say happy would be thrilled. But to get them to say extremely happy, I'm so, I'm so happy, Angela. I just want to go home to my spouse. And I sat at my computer and I cried because I was like, mm. what does that look like? What does extreme happiness look like? Not just happiness, extremely happy to be with you. And so anyway, I had the sword in my gut, like, go, Christine, go, go find out. And so I started interviewing those couples. Though, and so that's why my book is called The Super Couple. So I interviewed these extremely happy super couples. All of this was kind of birthed out of it. And what I started seeing as I interviewed these couples was that it wasn't accidental. That extreme happiness was an absolute formula that 100% of these men answered the questions the same way. 100% of the women answered the questions the same way. And in the beginning, Angela, I thought to myself, you know what? Other people can be extremely happy. I mean, this is great stuff for them, right? But God had to set me back. We went through a couple of things in the middle of me writing this book where God says, no, Christine, not just them, you too. And I was like, wow, I... I I guess you're right, because if I don't have hope for my own marriage, let me just add something I forgot to add. If you look at the back of my book, there's a phrase right here that says, Dr. Christine Bacon was so unhappy in her marriage that she actually prayed for her husband to die. I hated him. 
It was miserable. Uh, he wasn't a philanderer. He wasn't an alcoholic. He wasn't into porn. So what could be so bad that I hated him because everything he said was so harsh and, and I wasn't perfect, right? But this is my words, yeah. my marriage, my book, right? So long story short, when I started seeing what these couples were doing, I started doing them in my own house, just kind of experimenting. Mm-hmm. And little by little, without realizing he was being experimented upon, but he should because he's married <laughs> the to me, The guinea right? pig. Right? <laughs> yes. My husband started reciprocating and our own marriage just went from unhappy to happy to very happy. And it was like, wow. So I've talked to couples who are in abuse. I've talked to couples who deal with alcoholism. I've worked with couples who are in porn. Couples, of course, many of them where their spouses left them, gone off to be with the other woman or the other man. And there have been transformed marriages. Once I teach this formula, it's easy in theory, but it's hard in practice Mm. because then we have to let go of pride and, you know, things like that. So that's my longest short version. My husband and I have been married over 38 years now. And so it's really, this stuff works. Well, that is an incredible story of redemption. And it's such a great example that no matter where your relationship is at, God can use anything and turn things around. So what is the formula that you saw? Sacred. S-A-C-R-E-D. I'll often joke that when I was writing the book and putting the acronym together, I was either scared or sacred, but I figured that sacred would sell more books Yeah, than scared. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but sacred. And the first letter in that acronym is so powerful. If you took away all the rest of them, the S, which stands for selflessness, is mm-hmm. powerful because, I mean, you're in a marriage, I'm in a marriage. And if, if, if I asked you about being selfish, you would recognize that that's a killer in any marriage. If, if your husband, you know, wasn't feeling well and you were like, I don't care, I'm going to go out and go to the movies with my girlfriends or something. There's a hurt, there's a pain, there's an anti-love effect in when I focus on the self instead of focusing mm-hmm. on the other. And the way I most recognized that, Angela, in these couples was that when I would ask them about what good things were happening in their marriage, you know, why are you a super couple? 100% of the men, and remember, I'm in different living rooms at different times, right. listening to different couples. 100% of the men would say, you know what, what makes this marriage work? This woman, let me tell you about her. And he would say this, 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 this. And I'm like, and then, you know, these couples have been married for decades. And so it's not yeah. like this fake, oh, honey, no, it was this reciprocal Yeah, well, he may say that, but let me tell you what he does. This man does this, this, and that. And I'd be looking, and I'd just be observing as they loved each other so selflessly. And this happened in every living room. But then I thought, well, okay, you guys never really struggled then, right? I mean, I'm sure you had some little tiffs, but you never had any big issues. I was wrong again, because 100% of the husbands pointed to themselves 100% of the wives pointed to themselves. One had had a nervous breakdown. One had a bipolar mother-in-law living with them and she cut their daughter's hair. I mean, just crazy things. But when it was a compliment, here's selflessness in a super marriage. When it was a compliment to the couple, they pointed to the other. And then when it was a weakness, they pointed to the self. Girl, if that did not convict me, because every time I asked about the good things in our marriage, I told you about how awesome I was. Yeah. And every time it was a a, a weakness, I would point to him. And I, I was convicted about how selfish I was. Now my husband Mm -hmm. was as well, but that woke me up to see we are really selfish and that will kill the marriage more than anything. You can make it through anything in your marriage if you're selfless. 
Yeah. Wow. That's so good. All right. So if you're not taking notes yet and listening to this, get the paper out, write this down. S is selflessness. Okay. So what is A? Attentiveness. Super couples pay attention to that which their spouse does well and not that which their spouse does poorly. So for mm. instance, your husband, you've been married a couple of years now, right? You know yes. what are some of his weaknesses. I mean, mm-hmm. I could ask you, my husband still always leaves his shoes at the front door. Literally, he wouldn't mm-hmm. even have to move. He just need to open the front door and kick him in when he walks in the door. Somehow they get taken off right there. And in the years of our troubled marriage, I focused on every one of his failures. You're a bad communicator. You don't put your shoes away. You don't care about me. You do this, you do that you, you, you. But in super marriages, they acknowledge the weaknesses, but they focus more on what they do well. So when their spouse comes home in a bad mood, and and I did find this out, super spouses, husbands would slam cabinets or a wife would scream or, or whatever. So they did have those situations, but here's the difference. In an unhappy marriage, we think you're a bad person. You have a problem. In super marriages, instead of thinking you are the bad person, they think rather, you are my good spouse who is having a bad day. Bad marriages internalize the flaw is the person. Happy Mm -hmm. marriages externalizes the flaw is an outside situation because you are a good man. Yeah. Wow. That's so interesting. I know a lot of our listeners are also younger, so they're probably single or dating Is this the same lens someone should have when they're dating? Absolutely. The difference is when you're dating, it's easier. It comes naturally. And you and I may have time to talk about the love cocktail. When we talk about the love cocktail or what is known as limerence or that elevation of hormones that we have, when you first fall in love, you don't want to do anything but be nice to the other person. You don't see any flaws in the other person. So you're naturally practicing this sacred formula when limerence and when love cocktail wear off in six months to two years then it goes into i have to consciously choose to see your good side and not your bad Mm -hmm. side i have to consciously choose to be selfless and not selfish because it kind of turns back on the self well i definitely want to get into the love cocktail but we're going to first finish sacred so what is the c Basically communication and all of my super couples, when I asked them what they felt the formula was, communication was one thing that came out of all of their mouths, how Mm -hmm. you say what you say. And one of the things I said, and this I would do in premarital classes. So yeah, all of you guys listening or dating, you do not have to be married to practice this formula. But let me ask you this. Would you speak to your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whoever, fiance, in a way that you wouldn't speak to your grandmother? And when I do that, my premarital class was like, you know, do, do you speak to your grandmother the same way? And they're like, no, no. And I said, why not? They said, well, I love my grandma. It's like, oh. And they catch themselves like, my grandmother, she's my grandmother. So they held her up in such esteem that even when grandma said or did something annoying, who would ever say, shut the heck up, grandma? You know, so how we say what we say is so key. Do we yeah, speak to true. each other with gentleness? Do we speak to each other with kindness? But more so when I talk about my communication, which this is the part that everyone loves, is the difference between male and female communication. There's an yes. absolute 
difference in our brains, the structural differences, and then hormonal differences. And this causes, for instance, men tend to be more direct and blunt. Women tend to add more adjectives or softened words like, oh, I really, really want to come see you this, this evening. That, that would be such a great stinking time, right? I just added yes. 93 adjectives. Yeah. And the guys would say, sure, I'll be there. That actually was one of my questions I wanted to ask is, the gender differences of the brain, because that does impact our communication style and how we process things. So when we're in our mom's womb, our brains are the same for a short time. So we've got this left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. And then down the middle, we have this corpus callosum. The corpus callosum, I lovingly refer to it as the freeway system. It sends messages from the left brain to the right brain. So in the womb for a short time, your brain and your husband's brains were acting the same way. Messages or things that would start out one part of the brain would automatically make connections to the other part. And like this big picture was able to be followed. But the male baby, at some point in gestation, he gets this, this rush of testosterone and it singes these pathways in the corpus callosum, which means his left hemisphere can no longer speak to his right hemisphere. And I don't want any of your listeners listening and saying, well, I'm different. Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> We're talking a majority. We're talking about 66%. So it's two out of three men, two out of three women, right? So to greater and lesser degree, though, we recognize this pattern. And so... It's so easy for men to just stay in that zone and block Compartmentalize. Everything. Absolutely. Compartments are key. Right. Women, on the other hand, Angela, we don't have that, that luck. We don't have this blessing because that what you talked about is compartments. There's also a compartment we joke about, but it's called like the nothing box. So a man can literally go to his nothing box and be thinking about nothing at all he can turn his brain off. We can't. Our corpus callosum never severed. It is the left brain is always talking to the right brain. If, if I'm watching a show or if I'm helping the kids, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got to make sure I get this thing yeah. picked up in the other room. And, and while I'm also bathing them, I've got to go ahead and, oh, that's right. I got that project. And then I get the phone in my ear because my mom called and I'm doing all these things, which is why women more than men tend to be better multitaskers because our brain is making these connections. Well, yeah. this affects itself when we talk to each other too, because when we speak to a man, they want a straight line conversation. We're going to talk about the finances. Let's go from beginning to the end of the financial conversation. When we complete it, we check the box, turn it off and go to another conversation. But the women who are talking, we can start out talking about finances, but oh man, Angela, speaking of finances, did you know that there's a sale at Dillard's right now? Oh my gosh, yeah, we can. beautiful, <laughs> right? And it's like, oh, oh, and, and I saw, when I was there, I saw Sally. She looked fantastic. Did you know that she's pregnant? Three kids. Wow. It is awesome. Yeah. And, and then you're like, ping, 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 ping. And you're all over the place. And guys are like, what the heck just happened? Did, did, did we finish? Are, are, are you done talking about the financial conversation? Mm -hmm. Because I... That's where I thought I was. And if you don't understand those differences, women will tend to overwhelm men in communication more frequently than a man, well, than men will ever do to each other. They say what they have yeah. to say and they stop. So this causes a lot of marriage problems, a lot of relationship problems. Like you talk about everything. You talk all the time. Why do you talk about your feelings? What, you know, that brings us to R. What does the R stand for? Respect. And what is respect? Respect is defined as esteem for or a sense of worth or excellence of a person, of a personal quality or ability. And another definition was to regard highly or favorably. 
Now, when you first start dating your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, we do nothing but regard them highly or favorably. My boyfriend, Danny, could do no wrong when I started dating him. But boy, once you start seeing their flaws and the way they irritate you and annoy you, you tend to lose respect for them. And Mm -hmm. that is a killer to any relationship because I can respect you as a person, Angela, but I don't have to respect your opinions. I don't have to respect your political opinions. I mean, yeah, I think we've lost the ability to disagree. Do you not still highly favor or regard that human being as a man or woman made Mm -hmm. in the image or likeness of God? Because that's really what they are. They just think differently than you. So super couples have great respect respect for one another. Last two letters, the E and the D. E is encouragement, and the D I'll get to ties it all together. Encouragement started out with me thinking that an optimist could not be married to a pessimist because I thought you, you can't have pessimism, which I did find out almost all my super couples were an optimist married to a pessimist. And what I realized, though, Angela, is I wasn't looking at pessimism, optimism, dichotomy. I was looking at encouragement versus discouragement. Some super couples are extremely encouraging of one another. Uh, if, if Angela, if anybody could have a radio show, you could, right? I'm sure your husband has said that to you. Yeah, baby, I know you can do that. Or if anybody could finish that marathon, you can. If anybody could write a book, you can. You know what? I think you should run for mayor of the city. My super couples were just epic about encouraging one another because they really believed in the other. You know, Paula was like, Larry can fix anything. He can fix anything. And the importance of this is that the encouragement you receive from your mate is bigger than encouragement you can receive from anybody else because it really will allow you to to move a mountain. And yet many of us are in relationships and and I don't want to badmouth my husband, but he knows I talk about this because we've had this conversation. My husband is working on, right? His encouragement because he tends to say, well, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist and I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. But it was always, he used to say, well, sure you could write a book, but you know, there's a lot of books out there. People may not buy it. Or of course, you could start your own business, but you know, most businesses fail. And I was like, you're and, like, come on. Right. And yeah. he didn't realize that I was looking for his applause to say, honey, you can do this. It's going to be hard work, but you can mm-hmm. do this. And so it was just such a downer. It's like, oh, can I do anything? Mm-hmm. I mean, everything is oh, the Eeyore kind of thing. So it's so hard to be married to Eeyore people who are seeing the negative, <laughs> you know, toxic people. Yeah. And, and the last, last but is, not least, D is deliberateness, and it ties it all together. It basically says, no longer is the love cocktail working in you, Angela. You guys have been together too many years. Now you have to be deliberate about loving your husband. You have to be deliberate about being selfless. You have to wake up and choose to pay attention to his good qualities. You need to be deliberate about communicating in a way that benefits your spouse. So as a deliberate spouse, I try to be more direct with my husband and not as circular as I normally am. You can become super because if my marriage went from, I hate you and I want you to die to, you know, I had someone say to me recently, you guys are super couple. I'm like, no, no, not us. You think we are? You know, if we can be transformed, any marriage can be transformed. That's beautiful. Even if you're not married, like we talked about a lot of listeners, maybe single or dating. Would you say going through that list almost as a premarital checklist, if you will, and just see like, hey, do I feel like our relationship has these components? Do you think that's a good guidepost for singles? I do. You know, and it's interesting because 
marriage used to be more of a foundational thing where you get married young and you build your life with someone. And now it's more, hey, I want to establish myself, get my career going. And it's more of a capstone event. When I'm ready, I will get married. Where do you think the trend of marriage is going? Do you think it's still strong and something our culture values? Or through what you've seen in your work, do you think it is on the decline? Choosing marriage is on the decline. More babies are born outside of wedlock today than are born within wedlock. But the good news is that it can change. And culturally, the divorce rate is not and never has been at 50%. When I was in my research a good 10, 15 years ago, one thing I learned is that when you're doing research, you'll commonly just source something. So the common source for, oh, 50% of marriages fail has become so commonly accepted Mm -hmm. that people don't look for the research on that. Well, when you go and do the research, what was found is that people saying 50% was based on census data. And census data would look at how many marriages were started in 2021 and how many marriages failed in 2021. And that's how they got their 50% figure. But what they didn't take into consideration were marriages like mine, who we had been married 38 years or yours, you weren't married in 2021, right? And I say census data because it usually takes 10 years of information. So if you weren't married or divorced in that 10-year factor, you weren't counted. So it's actually about 40% or less are divorced. So you have a Mm. 60% success rate in marriage. But I do want to touch on what you mentioned about age. We can change this and you'd be fighting culture, but I'm okay with fighting culture because I'm a fighter, (laughs) is that People are trying to tell you what you just said. Get your career. Figure yourself out. Go for And then capstone. I like your idea of calling it a capstone event. But if you look at the super couple formula, that goes absolute paradox to the selflessness and everything that's in the formula. Did you mm-hmm. ever see the movie Runaway Bride? Yes. And she was movie. like running away six times from different people. And one of the things that at the end of the movie... For those of you that didn't watch, I think it was Julia Roberts, was it? Yes. Yes, Julia Julia Roberts. Roberts. Every time she'd get to the altar, she'd leave. And then, and when she was dating this guy, she got a tattoo. When she was, because he had a tattoo. And she was dating this guy, she rode a motorcycle because he rode a motorcycle. And when she was dating this guy, she read books because he read books. And, and in all of them, she said, well, my favorite eggs were scrambled when I was with Jerry and they were poached when I was with Sam and they were, and the concept was, what do you want? What do you like? And at the end of the movie, she decided what kind of eggs she liked, which is really cute for a romantic movie. But the premise was incorrect in that it was saying, discover who you are. It goes against the very principle in marriage that says the two shall be as one, right? I have to lose some of myself to become part of you. So Danny had to shave off some of my bad edges And that's hard to do. And I had to shave off some of his. When we get married older, it actually tends us towards selfishness because, okay, I'm 30 years old. Dan, I have always put my shoes this way. Dan, I figured out that the best way to do a budget is this. I'm 30 years old. I already know that here is the way we should do A, B, and C. This is the way to run a house. And if you have two people who have been figuring themselves out for enough years their willingness to change or to become one with the other, to lose some of what they've grown into, becomes exponentially more difficult. So actually Mm -hmm. studies show that couples that marry younger tend to last more than those that marry older, like 30s and 40s, because of that factor. You're not doing things my way. This is just too hard. Well, 
Mm-hmm. Suck it up, buttercup. You've got to lose some of that. And maybe you got to share some closet space. Okay. So to wrap up our segment, I'd love for you to just share your knowledge about Dr. John Gottman, who he is, and how important this is, whether you're dating or married, to understand the love cocktail. The love cocktail was it has been out for you know bazillions of years. It's also known as limerence. And so there's a name for it. But John Gottman is the grandfather of all marriage research. And I cite him several times in my book. He has over thousands of studies in the Gottman Institute. So when we talk about the love cocktail, he's the one that coined that term. And the love cocktail is a series of 11 hormones that get elevated during the time that we fall in love. So when I first met my husband and all of a sudden you cannot think about anyone else, the love cocktail is a period of time where all of a sudden these hormones, we start seeing the object of our affection and it like elevates you like, and these things make us jokingly, not jokingly, chemically imbalanced because all of these hormones are elevated, but should not be elevated for the rest of our lives. And if you don't mind, let me tell you, because even one of these alone can cause craziness in our lives. So for instance, when you first fell in love with Carson, your body was flooded with DHEA, and that produces a natural amphetamine high, right? So if I stopped right there, if you've ever done any marijuana or any drugs and you get that natural amphetamine high, know that when you fall in love with someone, that same type of hormone, that feeling is coming across. Do you make good decisions when you're high? Don't answer that, right? You start with DHEA. Of course, your body produces pheromones, which are sex sense. So your body can only fall in love with certain people, believe it or not. We also have oxytocin, both men and women. Women have way more oxytocin than do men, but oxytocin, Angela, is known as the cuddle hormone. Mm -hmm. We build our oxytocin by tending and befriending. I want to tend to the kids, tend to your needs, tend to your, your tummy, you're hungry, I want to tend to you. So the bad thing about oxytocin is it also reduces fear and good judgment. So I want higher levels of oxytocin so I can tend and befriend you and, and do all these things. But if it takes away my fear and good judgment, oh, it's okay. Let's just jump to the backseat of that car. It's not going to happen to us, right? Oh, we don't need a condom. That'll never happen to us, right? You know where I'm going there. Mm-hmm. So oxytocin may be a good thing, but it's got its downside. We also have PEA, which spikes at ovulation. And now that hormone signals approach, well, just approach and romance. My body is sending out this hormone that is telling you, come to me, come to me, approach me. I will receive you. Estrogen, which is responsible for softness and receptivity. Again, a female hormone. Men want their women soft and receptive. And that's, again, for the animal production, reproduce the species. Then we have testosterone, which is in both men and women, but significantly more of it in men. It's responsible for aggressiveness and aggressive sexual desire and lust. The other ones are serotonin, which we've always heard about that one. That one's responsible for emotional sensitivity. So we're both Mm -hmm. kind of sensitive to what the other one is saying, doing. We wouldn't want to hurt their feelings ever. It's also responsible for low irritability. That's pretty cool because when you're dating, you're like, nothing that Danny did would irritate me. Nothing Carson could do or say would irritate you. Not even the way he chews his food with his mouth open. Isn't that cute and adorable? <laughs> right? But when that wears off in two, you know, two years, you're like, can you shut your damn mouth? You got food rolling around inside of it. 
everything yeah. irritates you when the love cocktail has worn itself off. So coupling a hormone that says nothing irritates me with a hormone that says I don't have any fear is going to cause us to make a lot of bad decisions, which is why a lot of people are in, well, hookup culture. We can maybe save that for another radio show, but it's like, oh yes, we've elevated this love cocktail or lust cocktail and we're making stupid decisions. And lastly, well, there's a couple of them. Dopamine, which is responsible for excitement, pleasure, motivation, and risk-taking. Progesterone, sedating and calming. And then our vasopressin, which is responsible for aggressive sexual pursuit and monogamy. So I have this, I'm not irritable. I'm aggressive. I'm pursuing you. I am have no fear, high risk, and I also am monogamously focused on you. When the love cocktail is elevated, you can have a hundred naked women running past you, but you are so focused on that one woman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this love cocktail, and I know that was a lot of science, guys, but it's important to understand all these different hormones and what's happening when you are in that initial phase. All of those hormones that you just described and listed, you're saying are elevated. Yeah. Six months to two okay. years, depending on the relationship. Wow. Right. That's why you shouldn't make a big decision because you're not thinking clearly. Once that goes mm. down, as it should. Then you have to start loving by choice. That's when the super couple formula really comes in. You know, now that that wore off, I'm looking at you. I've seen your flaws, but you know what, Angela? I still choose you. I still love you. Yeah. That's when we should make our decisions about love. So interesting. I feel like I could talk to you forever about all these different hormones, and I'd love to have you back on again in the future and talk more about this. But if people want to find you or your book, because it sounds like you have so much incredible relationship advice to give, how can they find you? How can they find your book? Breakfastwithbacon.com. You can get access to my book, my radio shows, my relationship coaching. This stuff just is beautiful. It's all God-given. He made our bodies. He made our minds. If you fell in love before, you can fall out of love and you can fall back into love. So love is a choice. Mm. It really is a science behind it. And I'd love to help people to, to figure that out. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on All Strings Attached. I cannot wait for this episode to launch and what a great way to kick off the new year. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless all of you. I applaud Dr. Bacon for being so vulnerable and honest about her marriage journey, overcoming an affair, broken trust, and an uncertain future. What a story of redemption and forgiveness. Now, I know many of you listening may not be married, but as we discussed, I think this whole sacred recipe is a great litmus test for any relationship. If you're single, when you do meet that special someone, you can always use this recipe to look for those admirable qualities in your potential partner. Qualities like self-awareness, a growth mindset, and just the ability to say, hey, I was wrong, let's work on this. But I don't recommend pulling this list out on day one. I think one of the biggest relationship killers is what I call a right fighter or the need to always be right. That whole you versus me dynamic can be so easy to fall into in moments of anger. I get it. I've been there, but it never works out in the long run. 
At my home church, City Reach in Austin, we actually recently delved into James 119, and we had a sermon, ironically, just about this topic, about marriage and how to have a successful marriage. And I wanted to share this verse because it's really impactful. Again, James 1.19, it says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. What really stuck out to me was quick to listen. It doesn't say everyone should be quick to speak or quick to become angry, but it says be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And I think it's important to understand that listening involves more than just hearing the words that are directed at us. I actually looked up the definition of listening and it says it's an active process by which we make sense of, assess, and respond to what we hear. So if you are stuck in a hard spot in your relationship, I think the first thing to do is really try to sit and have a healthy conversation and really listen to each other, try to understand what the other person is saying. And no matter what, you can always turn things around, but it does take two people. And I think the proof is in Dr. Bacon's personal story and her experiences with thousands of super couples. So I hope this conversation gave you some great tools for your relationship. Thanks so much for tuning in. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. And what did you take away from this? Follow us on Instagram at allstringspod. Leave a comment there. And I would really love if you guys could rate us on Apple or Spotify podcasts. See you next episode for the season one finale. Drum roll, please. We got a good guest of All Strings Attached. All Strings Attached is hosted by me, Angela Blair. The show is executive produced by Soul Shop, and our production coordinator is Spencer Trapper. Special thanks to the folks at City Reach Church and Daniel Rudnai for this awesome recording studio. Follow me at Official A Blair on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and follow the show at All Strings Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok too. Sign up for my newsletter at allstringsattachedpod.com. And if you go all out and send me an email at Angela at allstringspod.com, I may even respond. Don't forget to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts like every other show tells you to do. Until next time, I'm Angela Blair. Angela Blair.